0: I'm not going to read my text because we're going to we're going to take a uh, a happy jaunt through Scripture on a, uh, a somewhat difficult topic, maybe maybe difficult, uh, particularly what Dave just said uh, about complementarianism and all that that word kind of inhabits in the minds of people. And so I'm really hoping to frame that for you biblically uh, in a way that will edify you, that will bring you joy, that will challenge the men here. In what God has called them to do. So here's what I'm asking, because I'm primarily going to be talking to the men. Uh, If you are single here and you're not married, uh, uh, as a man, you need to hear this, because this is your aspiration. And if you are single here and you're not married, as a woman, you need to hear this, because if you are a co-heir in the work and the vision and the and and the uh, the work that God has laid upon the man that you will marry, then you need to know what to hold him accountable to, and how to walk with him. Amen. And if you are married, yeah, thank you. The rest of y'all jokers must have forgot what time it is. I will leave. You will have to find another black guy in red pants. Mace ain't wearing red pants. Seriously, I wore these because I noticed on the promotions that they, in the picture I sent them, I was wearing my red pants. And then the promotion came out, and they had grade in my pants. And I was like, oh, I'm wearing them when I get there. Can't gray me out. So single men, single women, you need to hear this, because this is what God is calling you to. Married people, you need to hear this, uh, particularly the ladies. Even though I'm going to be focusing in on the men, you need to hear this, because uh, God has called you to hold your man accountable to the call of God on his life. Uh, um, I won't get into it too much, but there's a beautiful, beautiful poetry to Genesis where, where it says that God took the rib of the man to make the woman. Do you know what the rib does? In a natural sense, it protects the most vital parts of that man, right? And that's very much your role here. So why don't you pray for me? I'm going to pray for you, and we're going to jump in here. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 2. And... Uh, And then we'll work our way through a few passages. Father, thank you for this time, for the great grace of the gospel, uh, for the way you have laid out the word of God and the function of the family, what it means for a man to lead in his home. Uh, Father God, I pray that you give me wisdom now beyond uh, even my years or training uh, to say what needs to be said, to not say what doesn't. Uh, to uh, be led by the Holy Spirit and not tethered to anything that I've written. This is a moment in time to meet with the living God. And I pray that you would grant us that. We ask it in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. John Wesley, uh, by all accounts, was a great man. Uh, By all accounts, he did incredible things. Uh, He founded a denomination, right? Most of us are still struggling to found a church. He founded a denomination. Uh, Out of that denomination came a church planting movement that extended uh, even beyond his own nation. He is said to have sat at the center of the great revival uh, in Europe that very much mirrored the great awakening taking place in the United States. He had a passion for evangelistic preaching and a passion for the word of God and an authority in the way that he communicated that word. And it It transformed many, many people's lives. He had a a great calling and a great vision and great gifts. But he had a horrible marriage. He had a horrible marriage. He had a great calling, great vision, great gifts. Horrible, grievous marriage. I'm going to read you a few things from an author by the name of John Singleton, who did a biography on John Wesley. These are a few bullet points regarding his marriage, a few snapshots into the life that he had with his wife. Wesley and Mary Vazil, a well-to-do widow and mother of children, were married in 1751. By 1758, she had already left him the first time. Unable to cope, she said, with the competition for his time and devotion to his vision. She was to return and leave over and over and over again until their final separation. Due to her husband's constant travels, Molly felt increasingly neglected. She grew jealous of her husband's time away. And Wesley, this man with great vision, a great man with great vision and great wisdom and great teaching and a great call, he didn't do anything to assuage her fears. When Wesley left for a ministry tour in Ireland in 1758, Molly reported that her husband's parting words to her were, I hope, I shall see your wicked face no more. Wow. I mean, I've had some fights with my wife. <laughs> but I've never said anything like that to her for multiple reasons. <laughs> Primarily being because she has a conceal and carry license in her own nine millimeter. Um, Hey, that's a true story. <laughs> I mean, this is a little bit of an aside, but I, I think you'll enjoy the picture into my marriage as we allow the Holy Spirit to work on us. We were at coffee on a date once and just talking about random things. And, and one of our friends, another minister, uh, had just been found out for adultery. And, and, and I was kind of counseling him and walking with him through that. And she looked at me with a straight face and she said, have you ever cheated on me? I wouldn't leave you, but I would shoot you and you'd never do it again. (laughs) And she never smiled. And I've never strayed. True story. In 1771, Molly announced that she was leaving John again. On 23rd of January... Her journal reports, for what cause I know not to this day, John Wesley's journal rather, that my wife set out for Newcastle, purposing never to return. I did not leave her. I did not send her away. I will not call her back. Great man. Great vision. Great call. Great impact great teaching great movement great catalyst failed marriage george whitfield similarly was a great man who god used mightily george whitfield used to preach to upwards of 20,000 people with no amplification he was a a student of the arts, uh, an actor by trade, and it was said that his preaching was filled with drama and expression. Much like Pops' impression of Pastor Matt today. I've never seen him do this. You're like, you're having a seizure. Um, I was trying to show you. you gotta, that's the one you got to do. Yeah. Sorry, in, in African American churches, when somebody stands up, it means you're preaching real good. And if they throw something at you, then you just outdone yourself. I'm serious. I had a brother throw his notebook at me one time and just walk out. He's like, it's too good. <laughs> Telling y'all, y'all need to bring that to Australia. I threw something at God yesterday. I wasn't playing. I threw a cup at him. I was like, you better stop. But, there you go. But it said he, he preached with great drama. He preached with great fury. He traveled all over the, the United States, upper East Coast, and all over England. He had an incredible following. He, he literally sat at the center of the great awakening. Great man, great call, great vision, great gifts, great impact. Horrible marriage. Horrible marriage. Whitfield, here's one example of his horrible marriage, had vowed that, and this is a direct quote, that he would not preach one sermon less in a married state than in a single state. As a matter of fact, during the week-long honeymoon that he and his wife had, he preached twice a day. I mean, I've got all kinds of questions. I know what I went on my honeymoon for. Right? Pop's already laid it out. I was trying to be a 60-minute lover. This dude preaching twice a day. Who does that? Who does that? Who goes on their honeymoon and preaches twice a day? Where you going, baby? I got to go over here and preach this gospel. But don't you want to consummate our marriage? (laughs) No, I'm good. (laughs) You read this stuff and you can't even wrap your mind around it. Now, there were many more men that I thought about using uh, that weren't preachers. John Kennedy, Martin Luther King. Those are short list of examples. Of great men with great vision and great calls and great impact that that literally reshaped culture reshaped the understanding of of what it meant to walk with christ what what it meant to relate racially what it meant to be a unified people they reshaped history And yet they had horrible marriages. In fact, I would say that a great man with a great vision is a grand failure if he abdicates his role to lead his home. I think the Bible would support that. I'll say it again that a. A great man with a great vision is a grand failure if he abdicates his call to lead his home. Amen. You are a grand failure. Now, there's a redemptive historical reason for that that, that, that God's plan has always been to form a family for himself from all people. And one of the primary means in which he does that is through the marriage of believers who reflect the glory of God. So it doesn't matter how grand your vision. It doesn't matter how great your call, it doesn't matter how magnificent your impact. You are a grand failure if you abdicate your call to lead in your home. It's a hard truth. I know that. But it's truth nonetheless. And what's at stake? If we, with a great vision or great gifts or great influence, lead everywhere but our homes and everyone but our family, it's far more than a dysfunctional family. What is at stake is a faulty relationship with the Lord. What's at stake is a faulty relationship with the Lord. So what then is the alternative? Well, I think you're very intelligent people. So the opposite of not leading is leading. leading. The alternative to having a great vision and a great call with great impact and great leadership outside of your home while not leading your home is to put your energy and your focus and your passion into forming Christ in your family above what God has called you to do beyond that. That is what it means to be successful in leading our homes. Or we can say it this way, that we men are the means of flourishing for our families. We men are the means of flourishing for our families. I'm going to unpack that. We are the means of flourishing for our families in every way, mentally and emotionally and especially spiritually. We are the means of their flourishing. And if you think that having a wife and having children is any less than that, then you don't need either. You don't need either. And God forbid that he grant them to you. It's just a waiting call. And it's it's one lesson that I've learned the hard way. Add me to that list, working 90 hours a week to build the kingdom. While my wife's heart was aching for my affections. God brought me down hard. I pray as you hear this word that he won't have to do the same for you. That's my hope. Hey, is there any way we can unbuzz this? Am I the only one that hears that? Thank you. I almost kicked it off the stage. but (laughs) Sorry, buzzing sets me off. It really does. I, I don't know why I go all gorilla in the midst. I just... You're the means of flourishing for your families. And what does that mean? Well, on the surface, it means that that God in Christ and by his spirit works through you so that they would be all that God would have them to be. That God in Christ and by his spirit works through you so that they would be all that he would have them to be. That's what it means to lead a home. Not to throw up haphazard prayers and hope that the Spirit intervenes. Do you know the rate of ministers' kids, particularly? I know there's not just ministers here, but ministers' kids, particularly, who walk away from the faith? Do you know why that is? Because we commit adultery on our wives with Christ's wife. Leave behind our family for the family of God. And it shouldn't be that way. There should be a natural rhythm of life that contributes to both. We are the means of flourishing for our families. What does that mean? In the next few minutes, I want to unpack that as we, as we look through the scriptures. I'm going to go ahead and give you the four things up front, which is unusual for me. But I'm going to do that, and then we're, going to, we're just going to walk them through. What does it mean to be the means of flourishing for our families? Number one, men, you are called to be a trustworthy leader who receives and follows the commands of God and communicates those commands to your wife and children. If God gives you children, men, you are called to be a trustworthy leader who receives and follows the commands of God and communicates those commands to your wife. And children. Number two, men, you are called to lead the dance. I can't wait to unpack that. (laughs) Men, you are called to lead the dance. Number three, men, you are called to shape your children. You are called to shape your children. If God grant them, children are a blessing from the Lord. A sanctifying vehicle like no other. Vipers and diapers. They come here full of sin. Nobody teaches them how to lie, they just know. No one teaches them how to how to press your buttons, they just know. I don't know how they know, but they know. In good ways and bad, little girls especially, says, wind you up. I'm not here, baby. Take my wallet. I don't need it. <laughs> Seven years old. Got me. I'm done. Number four. Men, the nature of your leadership determines if God hears your prayers. Yeah. It says that in the Bible. The nature, the depth, the quality, the spirit-drivenness of your leadership determines if God hears your prayers. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that one jacked me up for about a year. Every time I raise my voice to my wife just a little bit, she like, I'm like, oh, Lord, he's not going to hear me. <laughs> I need you to move, Lord. Why you been talking to your wife like that? Right. So number one, you're called to be a trustworthy leader who receives and follows the commands of God and communicates those commands to your wife and family. Genesis 2, starting in verse 7, we'll read 7 and 8 and then 15 and 17. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Jump down to 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day, when you eat it, you will surely die. Now, most of us are familiar with the story of the fall, I believe. Pastor Matt illustrated it gloriously. You know, I've always thought the same thing. Like a random snake man just run up and start talking to my girl, I'm going to have a problem. I'm not just going to stand there and watch that go down. Like, hey, you want to eat this? You know, no, we don't want no apple. I I don't understand that. Punk, right? Ever talk to my wife like that, son? But here's a nuance that maybe, maybe, maybe we haven't picked up on something that really just jumped out to me just a few years ago. Maybe you caught it a long time ago. I, I I don't know. You know, we are in the future right now, according to Pastor Matt, so maybe you got it before we did. But this whole scene goes down. All of this stuff happens. The the, the woman eats of the fruit, then she gives it to her husband. And because of the way my mind works, my my first thought is, well, didn't she know better? Well, didn't God... What, Well, no, God didn't tell her not to eat the fruit. No, God God didn't come to Eve and say, don't eat the fruit. At least not what we have recorded here. No, what we have recorded is God forming the earth and, and, and out, of, out of nothing and saying, "Very good, sky, very good, Sun, very good, water, very good. Forming the man and being alone with the man, putting the man to work and telling the man, "Don't touch the tree." You see where I'm going with this. Let me make it plain. The man. Is the one who received the command. The man is the one who is supposed to commend the command to his wife. She wasn't, she wasn't there. She wasn't made yet, according to this, when God said, Don't eat from the tree. No, He told her future husband. Here are my expectations. Here is my desire. Here is what it means to live here and walk with me in the cool of the day. Here is what it means to enjoy my presence. You don't eat from this tree. Everything else is yours. Everything else you can have. Everything else you can enjoy. But don't eat from that tree because if you do it, then you will die. And so then we fast forward to the fall. And only one of two things happened. Either he never commended the command of God to his wife. Or she did not obey and follow the command of God through the leadership of her husband. And either way, you see the faulty and failed Leadership of a frail man in the first marriage. You see this? Am, am I pulling this out of the sky? I mean, talk to me. Am I pulling this out of the sky? You don't have to say amen. I just want to make sure you look confused right now. I want to make sure you're not confused. Go back and read the story. There is no word In this book where God came to the woman and said, don't do thus. No, he said it to her husband. And then her husband either failed to pass it on or failed to lead her effectively to where she would trust him to follow. And we know that because when when snake homie came, (laughs) he showed the depth of his leadership. There were so many things right there. Talk to the snake. Talk to your wife. Girl, if you don't get, if you don't go inside and talk to this fool. Hey, man. I don't want to be God because God is God. I don't know what you're talking about. But I'm about to cut you down and bury you under this fruit tree. See, that would have been some real man stuff right there. No, he's standing there naked like, well, I don't know what's going on. Fruit look good to me, baby. Fruit look good to me. And the Lord comes up and he dive in the bushes. Every part of me believes he was the first one in the bushes. They're all like, and she looking around like, every part of me believes that. Now, if you're going to lead your home, if you're going to lead your home, you have to be a trustworthy leader who receives and follows the commands of God and communicates those commands to your wife and your children. Now, what do I mean by that? Let me, let me flesh it out even more pragmatically. Do you have a vision for your family? Something that you want to see God shape in and through you and them? Do you have a mission statement for your family? I mean, Pops just told y'all, you're supposed to be on the mission. How are you leading your family on that mission? Do you have a discipleship plan for your family? Do you have a regular rhythm of family worship for your family? Does your family see you practice repentance? You want to know what humbling humiliation is? repenting to your five-year-old just a few months ago not even lying it's true story and it made me mad because she can barely talk she can't even say her r's right i mean she can talk but she says i was you know come rebuking me you can't even talk (laughs) my kids were acting up i mean acting up you know running up the wall doing backflips parkour all kind of stuff in my house (laughs) And I was trying to study. I was trying to prepare the word of God for the people of God. (laughs) And I popped out of my study. I said, hey, what you doing, (laughs) Sheriff?" You know, that dad yell where all the words become one big, ah? Just be real. Be real. For your wife tell on you, because they like to do that worst feeling in the world sitting in the marriage conference dude's like yeah and husband's be doing this and I'm sitting there quiet as a mouse she's like so be real before they tell on you I pop my head out hey sit up sit up they stop hour later Eva Diva comes strolling into my office daddy Daddy's studying right now, baby. But but Daddy, I just need to say one thing. Okay. You were harsh with us. <laughs> oh, oh, God. Oh, God. oh God. Oh God. Oh, that wasn't the end of it. You had to repent. So, so I can forgive you. <laughs> I just want to lay down at that point. Like, I'm done. I am done. I'm being held accountable by my five-year-old daughter. And you know what I did? I got down on my knee. So I could look at her in her little chestnut eyes. And I said, baby, will you forgive me? I'm sorry for being harsh with you, and I'm sure I'll fail at that again. But the Lord's commanded me to love you and not to be harsh with you, and we'll, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? I forgive you. Give a big kiss. Now, <laughs> I'm blown away. Now, of course, this becomes ammunition down the line, too. Like, anytime I discipline them at all, because they're still getting this in their head, they're like, you got to (laughs) repent. And I'm like, for what? For spanking us? I'm like, oh, no. That was the hand of the Lord. (laughs) No, if you're going to lead your home, you have to be a trustworthy leader who commends the commands of God to your wife and to your children. A life of repentance is the Christian life. That's just one example. And by God's grace, I've commended that to my children in a way that they that they call me on it. Sometimes good, sometimes randomly. <laughs> Same with your wife. You know, this whole idea of male headship, this whole idea of complementarianism has has unfortunately been passed off as this Attila the Hun style leadership where you knock her over the head and grab her by her hair and just, you know, pull her on over to the church pew and sit her down. No, when I do weddings, I make sure to intimate that you follow this man as far as he follows Christ. That, that he would be trustworthy in a way that you trust him, that he is following Jesus, so that you don't have to question where he is leading you. If you want to lead your home, then unlike this individual, that's a word I've begun using in the place of cuss words. It really works quite effectively. We use it around our staff. These individuals right here. Everybody knows what they mean. (laughs) Um, Unlike this individual who abdicated his role on at least two occasions that we can note in commending the commands of God. We, by the spirit of God, have the opportunity to reverse that curse. Right? Right? Even a strong woman will follow a man that she can trust, who won't try to lord over her, but lead her to the Lord. Those are two different things. Listen, we're, we're running out of time. I got to press on. Number two, men, you are called to lead the dance. Flip over to Ephesians 5, 22 through 29. I'm going to read this as quickly as I can because this is going to feel truncated now. I'm sorry. But I really wanted to lay a heavy foundation there. Uh, wives, submit to your husbands, you know this, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, to your own husbands as to the Lord. And husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up Why do I call that the dance? Because in my mind, I see this beautiful waltz, right? If you don't know how to dance, that's your fault. And, you know, maybe a little samba. You know, yeah, I better be easy in these red pants. Uh, why do I call that the dance? Because you see this, you, if you read it over and over again, you see this beautiful, cyclical, spirit-driven pattern that can happen. Wives, submit to your husbands. Respect your husbands. And I would would intimate there, why? Because your husband is going to love you as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What does that mean? What did Jesus do for the church? What did he do? He died. He died. I mean, put that Put that in the category of marriage, because that's what Paul's doing. What does it mean to lead in your home? What does it mean to lead the dance? It means that you are constantly dying to yourself so that your wife can flourish and be all that God had called her to be. That's what that means. And then it creates a dance. Well, a woman will submit in respect A man who is willing to die to his own selfish desires in order for her to be fulfilled in Christ. And a man will will die to himself for a woman in Christ who will willingly and joyfully follow his leadership as he's being led by Jesus. And then it becomes a dance. There's, there's no, there's no lording over. There's no abuse. There's no uh, suppression. There, there's no heavy handedness. Because it is, it is not. Hey, do what I say because I said it. It is. Hey, I am willing to lay on the line every selfish idea, every broken desire, every unChrist-like intimation in my heart. I'm willing to lay it at the feet of Jesus and have myself split open before the Lord for your sake so that you can be flourishing in Christ. A woman will follow that. Can I get an amen, Amen. ladies? Ladies. You'll follow that, won't you? No, you don't want no heavy-handed leadership. And any godly man wouldn't give heavy-handed leadership. Has the Lord given us heavy-handed leadership? Did the Lord come and grab you by the scruff of your neck and tell you where to go and what to do? No, he said, watch me do it. I'm going to strike a pose real quick so that you can get yourself together. That's why it's called the dance. And you're, you're called to lead the dance. And you don't step on her feet. No, you whisk her. You whisk her in your holy sacrifice of your own self-desires. So that, so that she is, is fully alive in Christ under your leadership. And she will joyfully submit. And submission, ladies, is not laying down like a doormat without a word edgewise. No, your submission is first to Christ. And if your man is walking out of line with the gospel, then you very lovingly and gently remind him of the gospel that he says he believes. That is what submission is. I'll give an example. When we were called to plant Renovation Church a uh, whole bunch of circumstances I can't go into but the bottom line is I wanted out of the south I was tired of dealing with racism alright I'm, I'm multiracial my wife was white, my kids I don't even know what they are at this point <laughs> Right? They're, they're embodying at least 10 nationalities and I was like we're going to go to California it's the land of promise, the weather's nice I never have to wear a shirt if I don't want to that's why I work out so I don't have to wear shirts and <laughs> And we're going to plant a church out there. It's going to be multi-ethnic. It's going to be beautiful. God, God is going to work. But God called us to Atlanta. And I knew God called us to Atlanta two months before we actually went there. And one night, my wife, in characteristic wife fashion, wakes up in the middle of the night with the best idea and wants to wake me up to tell me about it. That's what the ladies like to do. That's when the engine goes off. And she says, I think we're called to Atlanta. And I turned over and I said, I think you're wrong. I mean, just like that, real smooth. I have a sleeping suit, so I don't want to wrinkle it. Uh, So I got to be careful how I turn over. It's a cravat, uh, a la Barney Stinson. And, uh, And so the next day, Saturday morning, we're making breakfast, which is characteristic of us. We like to make breakfast together. And I'm trying to be sweet. I mean, this is, this is full me. Everything you see is, this is my personality. So I'm in the kitchen, and she's cooking eggs, and I come up behind her. I'm like, yeah, girl. <laughs> Cook them eggs, girl. And, you know, normally, she would dance with me. She would go, go, you know, normally. But that morning, she wasn't backing up on her, brother. And I was quite disappointed because <clears throat> the kids were still sleeping. You know, we had about an hour today was going to get up. So, you know, what a brother thought was about to go down. <laughs> as pops already told us. And so I'm trying to work my magic. You know, I'm back. I got long eyelashes for a man. I was like, and she was like, not having any of it. And I said, babe, we beefing. You know, are, are we in the midst of an argument? And I said, hey, I want to make sure I'm translating. And this, and this woman looks at me, straight face, straight face. She says, you know what the Lord called you to do. I have followed you everywhere you've asked me to go, but I will not follow you in this. I was like, who you talk to? Chest got big. I was like, hey, hey, hey. Started breaking stuff. Ah, ah, ah. You know, <laughs> it's like getting manly again. This is my house. You don't even work. You know, just started yelling random things. <laughs> Let me tell you something. My wife has followed me to nine different addresses since we've been married. She's given me two beautiful girls and we tried for three. She stepped out of her job so that she could take care of our home. Not because I demanded it, but because she felt the joy in following my leadership in that. And so to have her look me in my face and say, I will not follow you as you disobey God. Does that sound like doormat theology to you? No. No, she welled up in the spirit and told me what time it was. And she said, now, if you take me out to California, then I've got to trust. This is what scared the, 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 the H-E-L-L out of me. I'm not going to be cussing like Pastor Matt. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is what scared me. She looked at me and she said, if you go out there, I'll go. And I'll just trust that the Lord will deal with you in his time. She was serious. Does that sound like doormat theology to you? No, it's the dance. It's the dance of a man willing to die for himself for the sake of Christ and the power of the spirit. And a woman willing to submit and follow a dying man who's following Christ anywhere he wants to go. Men, you are called to lead the dance. Number three, men, you are called to shape your children. I'll be brief on this because I already shared a little illustration about a little eva-diva. Uh, Ephesians 6, chapter 4, just one verse of scripture here. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's pretty plain. Some of us had parents who routinely provoked us to anger. And you couldn't do nothing but go in your bedroom and break your own stuff. You know what I'm talking about. Just go in, ground, <clears throat> Transform it. You know, it's like... <laughs> But you know what you really want to do Was smack the crap out of your mama. Like, ah, don't talk to me like that. I'm eight. You know. But it, it, it's easy. It's easy to do two things. And, I, and I'm going to have to press on past this because we're out of time. But it's, it's easy to do two things. Pass off the parenting to your wife. Right? A lot of men do that. They come home from a long day at work and they spend 10 minutes oh hey and then they go and sit in the chair and they zone out for the rest of the night until they realize that you know they're on that that teeter spot where their wife might get just too tired you know what I'm talking about married people like there's this there's this zone and it's like if I cross into that zone my chances go down by like 80% right so you sit there and you zone out until you know 8 45 and then you full of all kind of energy hey girl what you doing how you day hey what's up you know and then she looks at you like you crazy like you ain't getting none of this you like what i do i've been here with the kids all day i cooked dinner i fed you you didn't even play with your children walked in didn't greet me sat down in front of the tv and now you want to be intimate i'm sorry but intimacy is an all-day event for me. <laughs> Ladies? Yeah. yeah? I'm trying to teach y'all, fellas. Y'all, y'all better get this. If you get this, you'll get that. I'm trying to tell you. If you ain't married, pray. I'm trying, but seriously, men, you are called to shape your children. And that doesn't mean that you only play the role of provider, which many men step into and think that they've done their due diligence. No, no, you are chief shepherd. You are searcher and lover of their souls. You do not hurt your children, especially when you have 23 of them like Dave and Wilma. Right. (laughs) The temptation is high to hurt them. No, you love them individually. You find out who they are as people. And you nurture in them the work of the gospel that will produce the disciple that God would have them to be. You don't just pass that off to your wife. I mean, my children are very, very different. Pastor Steve's met them. One of them, she's she's sweet. She's introverted. She's a reader. She wears glasses. She doesn't like sports. She doesn't like bugs. She doesn't like anything related to the outdoors. My other one is literally a Tasmanian devil. I mean, she's been beating up her big sister since she was two. I mean, I'm like, come here. You know, she's two years old. Big sister's four, laying on the ground, covering her face like an MMA match, and the little one's on top of her, just. And I'm like, hey, come. Can't do that. They're very different. I can look at my oldest daughter and she will fall apart. I pull out the the spanking spoon for my youngest, and she's like, bring it, homie. Like she. (laughs) <laughs> like, I've been waiting all day for this. I'm, I'm just gonna go back to doing what I was doing. Can we can we get this out of the way so I can get back to breaking this stuff in here? That's my youngest. I would I wouldn't know that if I passed off parenting to my wife and was only daddy daddy warbucks the provider. I got to know my children. I got to invest in my children. I got to shape my children. That's what it means to leave my home. And so I know it doesn't take much to to get Eden to obey. Uh, I just got to go down one octave, sweetheart. Okay, daddy. That other one? Y'all pray for me because I'm out of options. I'm out of options. She's pretty much running the house. It's like it's the Thunderdome over there. I just I come in. She's like, sit down. I'm like, okay. Uh, what's next? Uh, you know, like she she takes a very different, very different approach to shaping and discipling, and leading her. I'm a four men, and and this should terrify you. It really should. The nature of your leadership determines if God hears your prayers. First Peter three seven. I'm just going to read it. I'll say a few things and then we'll close. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you, heirs with you, just so that you don't misinterpret weaker vessel. They are heirs with you. That is, not flip you off, that is partnership, okay, um, of the grace of life. We're going to cut that middle part out and read it again. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way so that your prayers may not be hindered. Who here has read that before? Multiple times. Reminded yourself of it. We're praying for big vision. We're praying for God to move. We're praying for for cities to be saved. We're praying for, for, for multiple movements of the spirit of God. We're praying for global transformation. We're praying for our business to be impactful. We're praying to get financially stable so that we can be ridiculously generous. Men, we're praying for all kinds of things. And yet the word of God seems to say that if you are not living with your wife in an understanding way, showing her honor... What does it mean to honor something? Value it. Lift it up. Extol its worth. If you're not doing that for your wife, God will hinder your prayers. That should scare the hell out of you. Like what? I've been praying for God to move for months. He ain't moving. Do you honor your wife? Are you leading her in an understanding way? Are you valuing her, cherishing her, nourishing her, building her up, calling her uh, into the ministry that God has placed in her hands, watching her flourish, making space for her to live and be free and know God and walk with him and and bless the world with the way that God has uniquely wired her? Are you doing those things? Maybe that's why God had not answered your prayer. So how do we sum it all up? I don't have time to go any further. So I'll just say this. How do we sum it all up? Well, you've heard it already. You are the means of flourishing for your families. You are the means of flourishing for your families, men. You are the means of flourishing for your families. Mentally, emotionally, most importantly, Spiritually. You are the means of flourishing for your families. You are the means of flourishing for your families. And if you abdicate that role, you are cultivating more than a dysfunctional family. You are cultivating a faulty, maybe even false relationship with God. And you will not see the fruit in your life that you long for from the hand of the Father. So I'll just ask this aspirationally. What will you do? Will you be a trustworthy leader who commends the commands of God to your family? Will you lead the dance? Will you shape your children? Will you sit back while your prayers are hindered? Or will you, under the pure compulsion of the Holy Spirit and in the context of the grace of God, do everything, everything, to see your wife flourish in a way that fulfills her in Christ so that God hears every single prayer you pray. What will you do? The weight's on you. That's what it means to lead a home. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time and for the great grace we've experienced in it. Thank you for the gospel that both compels my Activity and forgives my brokenness and assuages my guilt and empowers my change. May we experience it all here together in its fullness. Would you make us men that lead, that commend your commandments, that lead the dance and shape our children? Would you make us men that are the means of the flourishing of our family?